Man. It, it truly is an honor to be with you all. And uh, over the last uh, couple years, and especially over the last few months, every time I talk to Pastor Reese, he's just always like, man, I love this church. And I feel like um, I've heard stories about some of you. And there's like going to be a moment in the lobby after the service, and I'm like, I know about you. Because <laughs> this, this guy has so much love, and he's just been telling me. And so there's, you know, been this this little dream of someday I would get the chance uh, to be able to come um, because I've been following along watching online. And it's been fun watching you, Reese, teach. And um, even just how this year kicked off was a great idea of like us being firm and secure. And then I love this series, Following the Way and you know, walking through 21 days, fasting and learning about prayer. And then one of my mentors, uh, Pastor Harvey Carey, was here last, last weekend, and he, he's taught me about prayer. Um, he was in the south side of Chicago for many, many years, and he and I would connect, and um, he taught me how to pray. Um, but what he never told me is that he could sing. <laughs> I, I'm, watching, I'm watching last week, and I'm like, oh, man. I got I to gotta follow up his preaching, which is hard enough. But then the man starts to sing. And I text him and, and, and Reese, and I'm like, uh, hey, Pastor Harvey, next time let a man know when you are going to start to sing, you know? And uh, it, it was just an amazing, amazing service. And, and what I love is this whole series, following the way. And this is really discipleship language. Because you have to understand that the word disciple in Hebrew is the word Talmudim. Let me hear you say Talmudim. Talmudim. Got to say it with a little chutzpah. And to be a Talmudim means to be an apprentice, a student of a rabbani, a rabbi. And, and the whole idea to follow the way was to actually become more and more and more like your rabbi. Did you know that the first church, it was known as the way? They read through the book of Acts, and, and they were called followers of the way because they were walking in the way of Jesus. They were showcasing how to live in Christ. And so many of us, I think oftentimes, we know a lot of facts, a lot of facts about Jesus. Here, here's, the, here's the truth. I love being here in North Carolina, but did you know that on February 17th, 1963, there's a child that was born in New York. By the age of two, he moved to North Carolina. He had some older siblings. He loved the game of baseball. His grandpa loved to wash the car. He loved to join his grandpa, wash the car. He goes to Laney High School. He gets cut as a sophomore on the basketball varsity team. He comes back his junior year. He's frustrated, determined he makes the team. As a senior, he's an All-American, decides not to go to Duke. He goes to the University of North Carolina. Yeah, all right, all right. Okay, Tar Heel Nation. And all of a sudden, as a freshman against Patrick Ewing's Georgetown Hoyas, he hits as a freshman the game-winning shot. And, and what's amazing is this, this kid ends up getting drafted number three overall to my Chicago Bulls. Thanks be to God, we did not get Sam Bowie who went before him, and Hakeem Olajuwon, who went before him. He's a rookie of the year, his, fresh, his, his rookie year. He hurts his leg. He's out the next year. I, I can tell you what happened during the flu game. I can tell you what really happened on the Space Jam set. I can tell you 
about how he wanted to sign with Adidas or Converse, but somehow this running company kind of presented him with a shoe that was the color red. I can tell you how he met his wife, Juanita, at the time at a Bennigan's restaurant, how they dated, broke up, dated, broke up, dated, broke up. I can tell you about the dream team drama. I can tell you how many steals he averaged. I can tell you stat after stat after stat after stat of Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But if you ask me, have you ever met him? I'd be like, no, 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 not at all. I know all about him. I got a whole bunch of his shoes, but have you ever met him? No. You know what we call those people? Stalkers. And here's the truth. I think some of you here today know a lot of facts about Jesus. My question is, but do you know him? Are you following his way? And this is what I want to go after today. Because once you begin to recognize that this book, and people fight about it all the time, but this book, yes, it's inspired, but the truth is, it still is inspiring. The original word for inspiration, you know what it means? Heaven's breath. So that when you're actually reading this, it's like heaven is breathing into your soul and into your being. This book, when I study for a message, I ask questions of the text, but in my own share time. Trying to dive in, as Pastor Kerry was talking about last week into the Word. When I begin to read this book, you know what it does? I have to allow it to ask questions of me. Is there parts of my life that are not in alignment? Are there parts of my soul, my mind, my past, my story, my pain, my trauma, my wounds, that I have not yet surrendered to live under the authority of my rabbi? And this, my friends, is what spiritual formation is all about. I don't want you just to know more facts about Jesus, because I could tell you another Greek word and another Hebrew word. You know what I want you to know? Is I want you to actually know him and be willing to follow him. Now, I, I, I lived for a few years in, in Arizona, and, and we decided to buy a little cabin out there and kind of get off the grid a little bit. And so we, we bought this cabin and we started to, to work on this cabin. But when we bought it, I tell you, man, it, 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 was, it was tough. It had like that teal carpet. Like you're not really sure, are you, are you blue, are you green? What are you? You know what I mean? You're just old. And, uh, and then it like brought down drop down ceilings. And, and my wife, she's got like the spirit of Chip and Joe in her blood. And so she could see it. She could like, oh, I know what's gonna happen. This thing's got good bones. And I'm like, I can't see it. She's like, all I see is drop down ceilings in this carpet. And she's like, no, we're gonna rip the whole thing out. We're gonna start like, we're gonna start like having you go to work. And I'm like, me go to work, okay. And I'm like, you forget who you married. You know what gives me anxiety? Going to Home Depot. <laughs> Cause it's, it's like, I could talk sports all day. Like I see my, my friends up there with a little KC Chiefs gear, yeah. Feel confident? A little nervous right now? That's why you're here? All right, I get it. Like Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, get hurt. Um, I, I, I know, I get it, I get it. But here, here's the thing, I can talk sports all day. I can chop about sports. Give me a Makita tool, I have no idea what to do. So I pray a certain prayer and I'm in Home Depot, Lord, father me through this. Bring me one of those people in that orange apron who can show me the way. And he does, he does. And so my wife's like, here's what we're gonna do. You're just gonna just demo it. You're just gonna have fun. Just take out all that aggression, all that anger of being a Chicago's Bears fan. Just take it all out. <laughs> we're gonna demo this place. And so for, for like a couple months, we just start going to town. 
And, and then this thing happened when I removed that drop-down ceiling. It was blocking all of this natural light. And all of a sudden, this moment where all of this light starts to come in, it literally opens up the entire space. And I felt like the presence of God just whispered, this is what I've been trying to do in you, to open you up and allow more light to come in. And so this is, this, it went to that. Hey, hey, huh? Yeah. I need a side hustle. Help me. Help me. No, but like, but this is what we ended up doing in this, in this moment. And I was like, oh my goodness. And the truth is, I love this book. And this book tells us some stuff. It says that your body is a temple. Your body's a, te- you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a house in itself of the presence of God. And what's amazing is oftentimes we just keep it up here. What do I know? What do I know? I know that story. I know that story. I know, I know how to debate that story. I know, no, 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 no. But like the truth is, all of what God is trying to do is reclaim and restore and renew and open you up so that more of his presence and his light can come in. So this is what we're going to talk about today. It's actually, it's going to be an introduction to spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. And, and what I hope is that every one of us, by the time we get done today, you will know one specific practice based on one specific word, how you this week can go and follow the way. So with that, let's turn, if you have a Bible, to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Um, if you don't, um, I just stole a massive screen and it's behind me and it'll come up right behind me. It says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And I love when, when Pastor Reese was teaching on this earlier this year. We have this hope, this anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. And I, this has been like one of those verses for me over the years. And, and I don't know if you've ever been out on a boat I, 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 I love boats. I love my friends who have boats even more. <laughs> and I was out on Lake Michigan a number of years ago, and, and, and it's just like a beautiful day in July. And my buddy's like, hey, hey, hey drop the anchor. And uh, we'll just kick it out here and, you know, it'll be fun. He's like, all right, where's the anchor? He's like, up in the front. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. So I see the anchor, and then I just literally like throw it in, and it just starts going. And then it realizes this isn't connected to the boat. (laughs) I was like, ah, problem. Um, And I started started to think about this. Man, you know, like, whatever a boat costs, it's basically 10% in maintenance that you have to pay every year. So $100,000 boat, $10,000 every year just in taking care of the boat. $2 million boat, $10 million yacht, And all of that is connected to this anchor. Like, if that anchor isn't firm and secure, this is bad news. (laughs) Really bad news. And if you get to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, Lake Michigan, you know what you will find? A lot of anchors. (laughs) Which has only meant bad news for these boats. So I, I started to think about this. Man, how many of us, we have this anchor. 
We have this hope. It's firm and secure, but why is it? Why is it in moments of temptation, in the moments of struggle, in the moments of adversity, why is it that it's so easy for me to drop the anchor? And it's like, I know I, know I have this, this sure and steadfast, this firm and secure, this, this hope, this anchor for my, but why? And, and here's the crazy thing is we just watch all these people get baptized. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I love just the story of people who were dead, as Pastor Reese said. They come up, they are alive. And we say these verses, you know what? They got resurrection power flowing through their bones. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within us. It's within us. A number of years ago, I'm walking out of church. I see a friend of mine, Jerry, and Jerry, Jerry's like reaching in his pocket. And Jerry's a businessman, I love this guy. He reaches in his pocket, and he grabs some keys and he throws them to me. And I catch him, and I look at the keys and it says Ferrari Spider. So I, you know what I do? I put my hands in my keys, 2002 Honda Civic, fair trade, <laughs> fair trade. And uh, he comes up to me and goes, hey man, take it for the weekend. I'm like, dude, I don't know if I can take this for the weekend. This is going to go on Instagram. It's going to be bad. He's like, no, no, man, just take your son. It's going to be awesome. I'm like, all right, all right. So I get in this car and it's low to the ground. And I turn the whole thing on. The whole thing's like, and it's just shaking me. It's just shaking me. And I'm like, oh my God, this car is worth more than my life. And then I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I'm like, my man's rolling in that Cheerio crusted like <laughs> Civic in the back. And so like, I'm like, okay, okay. So then I Everything's controlled on the steering wheel. So like I back this thing up and I'm driving in the parking lot. I'm, I'm going like max speed, six miles per hour. <laughs> and I'm just driving this thing. I'm so nervous. My phone starts ringing. It's my man, Jerry. I'm like, I'm not picking it up. It's against the law to talk on the phone when you're driving, especially a car that's worth more than your life. And so I don't, I just go to voicemail to keep driving. He call, keeps calling again. He's following me in the Civic. And he calls me again. So finally I pick up, put it on speaker and he goes, hey. You are driving a V12, supercharged, zero to 60 in less than 2.3 seconds. You got 480 horsepower. Hit the gas, Sally. <laughs> you know what I said? Yes, Lord. And I turned that corner and I hit, and my intestines went up and I brought them down. I'm journaling later that night and I realized something. I realized something, man, we say we have this resurrection power in us, but I am living my life and driving my life like I have a V2 hamster-fueled Honda Civic. You have all this power within you. And yet for many of us, we're like, yeah, 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 I know it's like for them, but like actually will I allow healthy transformation to happen? Will I allow the Spirit to open me up and allow the good light and love and grace and peace so that I can be the Talmudim, the apprentice, the student, the disciple that I was always called to be? Why do I keep dropping the anchor? And the truth is, I think many of us, you can relate. You've dropped the anchor. And when it matters most, and you keep running to that one counterfeit God, and you keep going back to it, 
And yet you know in this tension, I know I have this anchor, it's firm and secure, but you just keep dropping it. What I wanna do is I wanna teach you. I wanna teach you what I learned from Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard was a man who passed a few years ago. He's one of the smartest, brightest, kingdom-minded people I've ever met. And Dallas taught me because I kept asking him, how do people change? Because I remember when I got baptized, I came, I was so fired up. And then I went, went through a season, like I think many Christians go through, where we just plateau. Shouldn't, shouldn't we be the kind of people, if we understand resurrection power, if we understand what grace is, if we understand what it means to follow our rabbi, that it's like constantly up in the right? Yes, we're going to have difficulty. Yes, we're going to have pain. Yes, there's going to be suffering. Yes, there's going to be difficulty in our world. But we know we got this sure and steadfast, this firm and secure anchor. And he said, the problem is, is that many of us don't know about formation and how it works. So I was like, tell me more. And what he began to show me is he took me right to the scriptures and he said, in John chapter 10, Jesus tells us about two visions. In John 10, 10, it's a verse that many of us know. He starts off and he says this, the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see in that passage, just one verse, two visions. And the first vision is that of a thief. The Bible will call him the accuser, uh, the enemy, Satan. And this thief is trying to do three things, steal, kill, and destroy. And they build off each other. If I'm going to steal something, you have something that I want. But if I'm going to kill you, I just don't want there to be any opportunity for you to get me back. You are a threat to me, so I just want you dead. But in the original language, if I use the word I want you destroyed, what it meant was I want there to be no lasting legacy that you ever existed. Every single day, there's a thief that's trying to steal your joy. It's trying to kill your marriage. It's trying to destroy your character and your integrity so that you do not finish the race well. Every single day. And Jesus says, you have to be aware that this is the vision, the mission of this thief. But me, Jesus, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And he's not saying it from a place of empty. He's not like exhausted, just saying, gosh, just just give me another week. (sighs) He's saying from a place of abundance, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. It's why I love the way of Jesus. It's why I love the text so much. What's amazing is the more that you follow the way, the more that you actually follow after your rabbi, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna produce the fruit of the Spirit. And when we think about preaching, we're always been taught to keep the main thing the main thing, which is smart. Preach Jesus. Don't preach yourself. Preach Jesus. Yes, 100%. But you know what Jesus taught? John 15? He said, keep the remain thing the main thing. To remain, abide, and make your home in me. And when you do that, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So when you actually find yourself remaining and abiding and aboding, making your home in Christ, you are gonna be the kind of person as you follow the way, as you follow the rabbi, as you follow Jesus, that you begin to bloom and produce a certain kind of fruit. 
Paul writes about these fruits. And there are nine of them, the fruits of the Spirit. Look at them. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And can you just imagine if our world actually had this? Can you imagine what Facebook would be like? <laughs> you want to know where real crazy lives? The next door app. That is just bonkers, guys. It's like, hey, hey, three doors down from me, terrible band, but three doors down from me, man, I'll tell you straight up, this person is the worst. I want my whole neighborhood to know. And I'm like, you, what is going on? Our world would look better if there was a little bit more love, joy. But here's the truth. It doesn't just happen. Nobody just drifts one day and goes, craziest thing happened. I'm more loving. That's amazing. I, just, I went to bed last night. I had some good pizza. I woke up, and I'm filled with joy. I'm filled with peace. It doesn't just happen. And I think for many of us, we're trying to reckon with this idea. I gave my life to Christ, and I have this grace, and I have this resurrection power, but why, why, why does the still temptation cause me to drop the anchor? And Dallas says, because we don't have a vision. And he offered up three words, vision, intention, and means. I'm gonna break these down in a moment. But vision is this, one God-inspired way to be more like Jesus. And every one of us needs to have one. One God-inspired way to be more like Jesus. And I showed you the nine fruit of the Spirit, and at the end, I want you to think about one of those fruits that you could actually begin to apply to your life to have a vision to become and embody more of the fruit of the Spirit. For me, my vision for the last nine months has been this. When a life anchored in Jesus is one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. I wake up every morning, I think about that. I just pray, God, I wanna live a life that I'm not trying to prove anything, I'm not afraid of losing anything, and I'm not afraid for people to see that I am a broken and fractured man who desperately needs grace. And all of that is true, but I know when my life is anchored in Jesus, I can live this out. But the question though comes, you can have a great vision of a God-inspired way to be more like Jesus, to follow the way, but still, when adversity or suffering or temptation comes, why, why, why do we drop the anchor? And I was asking Dallas this, and he said, because we don't understand the power of the will. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but that sounded awesome, <laughs> and the way you said it. And I, he's like, well, there's three wills. And I was like, well, tell me more. And he said, the first will is this, <clears throat> the impulsive will. The impulsive will. And this is just where we do what we want to do. Right? You get this. You, you're going to the mall. You're hanging on to the anchor. You feel good. You're listening to little Mav City on the, on the drive to the mall. And you're like singing promises. And you feel good. You know, talking about miracles. One, two, three, four. I, I'm like Pastor Harvey right there. And like you're singing. You're feeling good. You feel good. And then you go in and, and someone kind of like side eyes you. And you're like, okay, whatever, whatever, a little grace for you. But you keep going, and then all of a sudden, like, somebody else, like, like says something, and they just, I don't know, just about, and they're just like, oh, I don't like that. And you get a little frustrated, and then you see someone from high school, and that takes you back. 
And all of a sudden you're like, man, that was a bad moment. And I don't like that person. That made me feel. And then you're walking, you're walking, and then all of a sudden you, you, you see the shoe store. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I need some shoes. And in this moment, you know what's happening in your account. You, you, don't, you don't have the money for that new pair of J's. But they look really clean. And so you look down at your wallet and you're like, wow, I got this credit card. And this Chase credit card, I don't know if you've seen these Chase credit cards, you know what they're called? The freedom card. <laughs> Welcome to bondage, financial bondage. But we've called it freedom. And in that moment, you're like, it is free. I am free. I am my own person. And so what do you do? You drop it. And here's the truth. In that moment, as you get those shoes and you walk out, you feel good. You feel good. But here's what my friend John Orberg says. What's amazing is sin, you, you, whether you buy something, drink something, it'll give you a fleeting sense of peace, but it won't make you a person of peace. See, this is, this is the hard part, right? And the impulsive will, we just drop the anchor and we just do what we want to do. I want to look at that. I want to sleep with that. I want to be with that. I want to buy that. I want to, ah, all that stuff. And we just forget the firm and secure anchor and we just do what we want to do. But Dallas said there's another will. And the next will is called the reflective will. And the reflective will is when we actually reflect. We're all of a sudden in that same moment at the mall and we have this moment of temptation or opportunity or invitation and we reflect and we ponder on what will truly help me live in Christ. Will this actually help me be a Talmudim? Will this actually help me embody my vision? Will this choice, and you reflect and you ponder and you, you, you go, no, it won't. And even though sin is fun, it's not worth letting go of this anchor. Or actually this opportunity, it will. And so I'm gonna take a risk and invite someone to church or I'm going to share my faith or I'm gonna pray for someone. Like you have these moments to reflect and ponder. But Dallas said, but here's the truth. Nobody ever talks about this. What's underneath the impulsive will and the reflective will is what he referred to as the embodied will. And the embodied will is the muscle memory that builds over time due to your actions. Now think about this. How many of you like me, the last thing you do before you go to bed is check your phone? Okay, nine of us are telling the truth. It's cool, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool, it's great, it's great, it's great. Okay, and how many of us would say, hey, one of the first things I do before... I get out of bed is I check my phone. Okay, okay, good, 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 good. Okay, more truth tellers, I like that. Okay, now, here's the truth. What happens is every night, you're building muscle memory to check your phone. When you wake up, to check your phone. You are building muscle memory. Many of us have the same routine over and over and over and over again. That's why when we get stressed or triggered, we often run to the same temptations. Why? Because it has become a familiar place and that's muscle memory. For many of us who grew up as children of alcoholics, we would watch our parents come home and they would hit the garage door opener and all of a sudden the garage door ding as it began to raise, our parents would go bourbon or wine or beer. It was all of a sudden on the tip of their tongue. And it was just this trigger. It was like Pavlovian. And, and, and what's amazing is what Dallas said is there's muscle memory here, but the same with impulsive will. But the same thing, when you begin to reflect and ponder and go, 
man, I wanna be more patient. And I'm actually not gonna say what I think. <laughs> I'm gonna get curious. Oh, I'm, actually, I'm actually in this moment not gonna choose to escape the tragedy or the trauma or the sadness, but I'm gonna actually lean in and see what God has to teach me. You know what that actually teach, has? Muscle memory too. And when you do that again and again and again, you are building muscle memory and you become a person of peace. You become a person of joy. You become and actually embody this. Does this make sense? See, it doesn't just happen. And so you have a vision. It's one God-inspired way to be more like Jesus. But then the next word is the word intention. And intention is really, really important because it's where our personal decisions day by day to overcome and become more like Christ. And you gotta have this intention. Because again, nobody just drifts towards holiness. I remember a number of years ago, I took a buddy of mine to Chile, and uh, we were doing some mission work, and he was from Grand Rapids, Michigan, so he, he didn't know how to surf. I grew up in Southern California, I love the water. And so we, we, we go out surfing, and there's eight of us, two gringos, six Chilenos, we have four surfboards, four wetsuits, and so we kind of break up in four and four. So I'm like, hey, Corey, it's your first time. Here's what you need to do. Stay with the Chilenos. That's all you gotta do. He's like, but I've never surfed before. I'm like, it's okay, okay. Just stay with them. Just stay on the board. When you feel the movement, pop up, ride. You'll have the time of your life. You're walking on water just like Peter. It's gonna be amazing. But stay with them. He's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, you got it? Great. I go in the van. I'm just reading a book. And then all of a sudden, like 30 minutes later, one of the other Chilenos runs in and opens the van door. He goes, Mr. Steve, your friend Corey, he's about to die. And I'm like, what in the world, man? I like run out there and all of a sudden, all the Chilenos and everyone's surfing this beautiful set and they're just riding it. And I look over and there's Corey way over here and he's just floundering, just floundering. And I hear him screaming something. I'm like, what is he screaming? I walk out into the water, I'm hearing it. And he's literally screaming, por favor, por favor. And I'm like, what in the world? So I whistle over and one of the Chilenos goes and they drag him in. He's like a beached whale. And I, I walk up to him and I don't have mercy in this moment, but I'm like, dude, what were you yelling? He's like, I only know four words in Spanish. And por favor seemed like the right word. <laughs> and I think, it's, I think it's so human though, right? Like there's something we don't know what to say and we find ourselves just drifting. We drift into the way the world says we should behave. We drift into like what we just feel like in this moment we can need to escape the pain and the sadness. And there's something so much healthier when we can just simply know, man, day by day, living with intention to be calm and overcome so I can actually follow the way. So how do you do it though? You have a vision, you have intention, but Dallas would say you need M. And that word was means. And means was the specific method and practice to shape and form and help you live out your way of Jesus. Now, it doesn't probably look it, um, but uh, I, I love the game of basketball. Actually, ever since I was a kid, my dream was to play Division I basketball. And that, that's all I wanted to do. And in fifth grade, I remember going to this camp, this select camp at UCLA, and at the end of the camp, they basically gave me like this five-page evaluation form, and I looked at it, 
and they actually like told you where they thought you would play. And I remember reading this as a fifth grader and they're like, um, you've got a lot of work to do if you were ever gonna play division one. And I broke down crying. And my dad, <clears throat> who was a business guy, he looked at me and he's like, what's going on? And he just grabs this evaluation form and it's looking about, can't dribble with his left hand, doesn't know how to make a proper bounce pass, which when you do that, thumbs down like you're milking a cow. That's how you do it. And like, literally like, I'm just going through this whole thing. He's looking at this whole thing, defense, not very good, it's out of position, he's got no jump shot. And my dad did something so beautiful. He got down on his knee and he said, if you look at this whole sheet, yeah, you're probably right. You're not gonna achieve your dream. But what if we just broke this up? One little spot, we're just gonna work on your left hand. And for a month, two months, we're just gonna work on your left hand. And you're gonna go to the grocery store and you're gonna be dribbling a racquetball or you're gonna dribble a basketball. Everywhere you go, you're gonna be dribbling the left hand. And then the next two months, we're gonna work on defense. And we're gonna work on court vision. My dad would take me over a, over a four-lane highway, the 101 in California, and I would be standing on an overpass. And he'd be there and he'd just yell out, slow lane, northbound. I'd be like, white Honda Civic. And then he'd be like, fast lane, northbound. I'd be like, white Honda Civic. That's all people drove in California. And I'm just like, <laughs> just dribbling. But he was like teaching me how to dribble with my eyes up. Little by little, what he was doing is he was breaking it into little chunks that was actually achievable. And you gotta understand, Dallas then said these words to me after he tells me this. He goes, Steve, you gotta understand about grace. This is where the church misses it, is that grace is opposed to earning, but it's never opposed to effort. You can't earn grace. You cannot earn grace. It is a free gift. But here's the truth. The effort requires, now that I've received this grace, how do I get it into every part of my being, and that takes effort. And this is where we friends, we often find ourselves going, oh, I, but I know the facts, but I'm struggling with falling the way. I, I know I got this anchor, but when it really matters, we drop it. And so here's what I want you to know, is vision, intention, and means. I want you to have a vision. And think about those nine fruits of the Spirit. Just think about those nine fruits of the Spirit. We'll go there in a second. But I want you to, just to think, if you had a vision, if it were me, this is what I would say. A life anchored in Jesus is one that chooses peace over what? Anxiety? And now, now you've got that vision, and now every day when all of a sudden you feel the temptation to live and be this anxious presence. You're like, no, I wanna be a non-anxious presence in Christ. I wanna be so grounded in Christ. When all of that comes at you, now you have a chance to reflect and hopefully embody it over time. But it's not just gonna happen. You gotta have a means, a method, a practice. And so what's the practice that's gonna help you choose peace? Maybe it's for you, I come home and you just, with your hand over your heart, you're like, I just need to hear some worship. It just brings the RPMs down. And that's just what I'm gonna do every day. Or every day when I wake up, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna sit in my chair, I'm gonna read the scriptures. Oh, it's just good for me. Or maybe for some of you, like, you gotta learn patience. You gotta learn patience. You know what you're gonna do? You're gonna drive in traffic. <laughs> just gotta learn patience somehow. You're gonna, you're gonna go to the grocery store and you're gonna find every time the longest line. And you're just gonna stand behind it and you're gonna die inside. 
background. I can't stand that teacher who came to New Hope. But here's the truth. You're all of a sudden you're gonna be like, no, no. I don't just become patient. It takes effort to let grace heal me from my constant pursuit of hurry. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to look at this list of nine fruits of the Spirit. And I don't want you just to know facts about Jesus. I want you to actually follow the way. And I want you to to think about one of these words. Love or joy or peace, patience. I want you to think about one of those words. I want you to then just start to imagine, okay, with that word, what's the practice, the means that I'm gonna actually start to do so that I can actually begin, little by little, allow the Spirit of God to allow my life to be opened up and a little bit more of light and grace and love to come in so that I can look more like my rabbi. How many of you, just with a show of hands, would say, I need more love in my life? It's good. How many of you would say, man, I need more. I need more joy in my life. Yeah. How many of you would say, I need more peace in my life? I see that. How many of you would say, I need more patience in my life? Yeah, you're like, you know, like, hey, I just even do that with intensity. How many of you would say, I need more kindness? You know, the word kindness literally means, it means slowing yourself down and not actually expecting someone to act or behave or think like you do, but slowing it down to get curious to understand why they think or act or behave like they do. That's kindness. How many of you are kindness people? How many of you are gentleness people? How many of you are like goodness? I just wanna be about seeing the good. How many of you are like faithfulness? Man, I just can't, I'm just, I just gotta keep holding that anchor. How many of you like me are self-control? Yeah. But friends, if you can just do this from now till Easter, recognizing you have a firm and secure anchor. You have a firm foundation and you can begin to write a vision and put it up in your bathroom. Put it in your Bible. And then get really, really clear with a specific method. And I told you nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. I put a specific practice for each one. For me, with nothing to hide, I was with a bunch of pastors and one of them was retiring and, and they, were, they were thanking this pastor. And we were telling stories about what this 60-year-old pastor in California meant to us. And this one person who was a therapist, who loved this man, shared, eight years ago, this pastor called me and said, I need to get better at confession, so can I call you at 5.50 a.m. every morning and just confess my sin from the previous day? And the guy was like, no. It's too early. <laughs> but, the, but the guy said that the pastor called him two weeks later and said, seriously, would you do this with me? I'll confess, you confess. I think it will help us be more like Jesus. And he said that thinking he was helping the pastor, he said yes. And he said, over the next eight years, we missed a total of eight mornings. And he said something happened because when I knew I had a temptation, and I knew, man, I could, I could do this, but if I do this, then I have to confess it to my friend. And he was like, it didn't look that sexy anymore, because I didn't want to have to confess it. 
And I remember standing there next to a buddy of mine who's, we went to college together, and I looked at him, and I, I punched him, and I was like, these two 60-year-olds, they want Jesus more than us. I was like, I'm, we gotta try this. Can I call you at 550? He's like, sure. And so we started to do it. In one month's time, we missed seven. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, I had that same feeling where I was like, I'm gonna have to confess this to Mike. And you know what? I don't wanna. I'm holding this firm foundation. Give yourself a vision. Give yourself an intention. Make one specific means, method, practice, and watch you become more like Jesus. We're gonna sing this song, and this song's gonna be sung over you, and it is a prayer from our team to you that you would live firm and secure holding on to this firm foundation. So God, we pray. We pray that we're not just people who know facts and are stalking you, but we are people who know you. We are people that hold on to this vision that we know that there is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but we have life and life to the full because of you. So help us live that in the here and now and allow these words to minister to the places in us that we just need to open up to you and allow more of your light and your love and your grace in. We give you our one and only life and all God's people said, amen.
Jesus. 